Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Who does not want to be financially independent? But what is it exactly, and how do you reach that level of freedom? Tom Guidi and Luke Hale have some of the answers, and they will also offer four action steps that you can take to move closer to that goal. I'm Patrice Sikora. Now, Tom, Luke, when I got my first job in high school, I certainly felt financially independent. But then I had to negotiate with my parents to drive me back and forth to that job, so I quickly realized I had a long way to go yet. Luke, what makes someone financially independent? What you described is actually the first step to financial independence. It's financial independence from your parents. When they were giving you the ride to school, you realized you still had some dependency. Oh, yeah. But uh, as you age and as you get your first job, you gradually throw off the reins of mom and dad and become somebody that can stand on your own two feet and become financially independent while you're working. And that's kind of phase one. The more fun phase that perhaps that we focus on is true financial independence. It's when you're working because you want to and not because you have to. So what you do does not depend on your earned income. You have enough resources to provide you with the life that you want to live uh, without getting up and going to work every day. Do you see a lot of people like that? We do. We help people kind of get from point A, uh, maybe not from high school, but certainly young professionals and more seasoned professionals as they're making uh, important last moves towards the true finan financial independence. That's what we do. We really like that. It's an exciting thing because you're part of somebody else's journey and you're helping allow them to be the best version of themselves when they don't have to get up and go to work every day. And Tom, how do you know when you've reached that point? Uh, yeah, great question. Thanks. Luke mentioned using your resources. So I think it's good to define, you know, what those resources are and how they help you be financially independent. The first is in retirement, we'll be receiving, well, most of us will be receiving social security income or, you know, a few people still have pension income. But the other resource that we help people utilize in retirement are their investments, the savings that they've accumulated over time. And it's a question of how you use those resources and how much you can draw from those savings. And there's been a variety of ways that people have figured out how much they can take out each year in the past. Uh, some people uh, would spend only the income that was produced from their investments. So that would be the dividends from stocks, the interest from savings or bonds. And by spending only what was being distributed from those investments, the interest in dividends, they knew that they're keeping the principal intact. And if they had stocks, hopefully it's growing over time and allowing them to spend throughout retirement. Now, the disadvantage of that is really maybe you could be spending more. Maybe you can spend some of the growth that the stocks produce. 
So I think that attitude of I'm only going to spend the interest in dividends, you know, might lead somebody first off to spend maybe less than they actually could in retirement. Uh, the second danger is if you're so keyed in on that interest or dividend, you might let that control how you actually invest your money. Meaning that if you're looking at two investments and one is paying a lower level of interest or dividends and one's paying a higher level, if you're so keyed in on the income that you're taking home each year, well, you might invest in what's a higher dividend. But maybe that's riskier than you would like. Maybe that doesn't have the same growth potential as the other investment. So sometimes allowing that, that methodology to control your investment process might be disadvantageous. What about this 4% rule that everybody used to talk about anyway? Right. So I think that all goes back to a study that was done at Trinity University, and it's just been termed the Trinity study since then. And it was really taking a look at using a portfolio of stocks or a mix of stocks and bonds, so a balanced portfolio, and what type of or what level of distribution is sustainable over time. And they found that a 4% distribution rate is a pretty durable distribution rate. So let me define what a 4% distribution rate actually is because uh, it's taking the first year just amount that you have saved up mm -hmm. and multiplying that by 4%. In the next year, regardless of the value of the account, regardless of how the market has moved, taking that same dollar amount the next year, plus inflation. So you're giving yourself a raise each year to cover the cost of living increase. So your payment, presumably as long as inflation is positive, is just going up and up and up each year. Meanwhile, the value of your account is zigging and zagging, presumably. it's There's going to be good years for the market. There's going to be bad years for the market. And what they found is that 4% distribution rate, they studied a variety of distribution rates, but that 4% starting rate works 19 out of 20 times, approximately. Oh, those aren't so, bad odds. Right. So it kind of is a good baseline for how much can I spend in retirement, uh, a good rule of thumb. The disadvantage of that is, well, what do you do with that one out of 20 time that it fails? Um, that's certainly one disadvantage. Usually, if you look at, so they studied history, they studied past market circumstances. So what if you did this in 1928? I'm going to guess that was probably one of the failures because <laughs> the Great Depression happened thereafter. Or I think some of the failures happened in the 1960s where, okay, early early on you had this 1970s scenario where inflation kicked in and your income went up and up and up and the market didn't do nearly as well. So those early year problems tended to create those failures. So that's one of the big disadvantages. Uh, second is most people's situations a little bit more complex than that. Meaning that do they need 4% every year? Probably not. 
So if somebody's retiring, let's say at age 60, well, they're going to get social security at some point. Are they going to file it at full retirement age at 66 or put it off for a few years? That's going to adjust how much they actually need to cover their living expenses. Do they have pension income? Are they taking more vacations or spending more in the early years and less in future years? So all those things cause some adjustments. You don't need just a rule of thumb. You need what, how does it fit my situation? Luke, tell me about Foster and Motley's approach to this. I think it's best described um, by using an example of your doctor. So we don't, uh, we don't do things once. It's a continual process that we evaluate your readiness for financial independence and your progress towards your goals. So when you meet with your doctor, you go in and they take your blood pressure and they weigh you and all that kind of stuff. And they determine, you know, are you healthy? Now you may be, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be in that state for the rest of your life. So you need to go back and periodically do checkups. So the way that we do it is we meet with our clients every so often, usually every six months, and we review how they're doing. You know, what's going on in your life? What things have happened that have either taken you away from your goals or, or moved you uh, faster towards them? Or maybe your goals have changed altogether. Um, life has a way of being unpredictable. And uh, we use a process that enables the user to deal with the unpredictability and make adjustments along the way. So we may say that you are fine. You don't need to do any thing differently than you're doing. You've taken, you've taken the advice to save in your 401k plan and you're saving in a brokerage account and you've, you know, you're living the life that you want to live. Your life is comfortable and everything's fine, but maybe we run into a stock market problem and, or maybe you start uh, being responsible for taking care of an aging parent or some other material monetary uh, encumbrance that you didn't have before. So we want to evaluate those, take them into account, build them into your plan. So we meet every so often and we provide you an update with uh, how you're doing. And if you need to make changes, we make them. You mentioned starting early. I mean, everything when it comes to saving for retirement is starting early. How is How early is early? Is it ever too early? <laughs> That's a great question. I actually had this conversation with one of my coworkers the other day, and uh, everything that you see, maybe some people listening have seen the analysis. If you can save, you know, X number of dollars in your twenties, then you can not need to save nearly as much later on. And it's great. The reality is, I've never seen anybody save anywhere <laughs> close to that amount in their 20s. I mean, we're all busy chasing whatever we're chasing in our 20s. We're chasing uh, families and getting married and you know, maybe paying off some school loans and first jobs and second jobs and third jobs until we, you find what fits for you and new houses and moving from here to there. All that takes a lot of money. So I have, I think, think that people are doing just fine if they can make their retirement plan contribution while they're in their 20s. If they can maximize their retirement plan contribution, that's ideal. They are going to be set up for 
later goals like financial independence. And more than just saving the money, they've instilled the discipline of this is just what I do. I get a new job and then I maximize my contribution to, to my retirement plan and then I spend the rest. Um, so instilling those uh, levels of discipline earlier are important because in reality, you'll have to save more than just your retirement plan contribution unless you have a pretty modest lifestyle. Um, but getting those good disciplined habits in place are really important in your 20s. Don't focus on the amount of money that you're saving. So start early thinking about it, but be happy with uh, limited monetary progress. And that brings up the question you save, you're focused on that, putting away the max that you can. You just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. But when do you know, where am I going with this? I'm saving and saving. And does it, what, do I need a goal? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. It's really timely. Um, actually, this morning I met with my financial planner. Uh, it's a Foster and Motley financial planner. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Emily Diaz from her office, and we've worked together for a couple of years. And I just didn't have goals. I just, as Luke said, I saved and saved and saved and didn't really know where it was going. I knew I was going to retire eventually, but, you know, it's hard to even define what retirement meant for me. I was, I have two kids saving for their college and, you know, they'll be off the payroll eventually. Luke says they'll be financially independent, but Patrice tells me I'm still going to be driving them to their job. I have a hard time <laughs> figuring out where it's all going. But meeting with Emily allowed me to you know, spend some time thinking about, okay, what does retirement look like for me? Do I still want to live here? Do I want to live in a different locale? Uh, but yeah, you know, it gives, takes some time for dreaming. And once you've kind of have your dream set, it's okay. Well, what is the cost of that dream? How, how does financial from a financial standpoint really look? So the better we can define those goals, the better we can help a client analyze the goals. So we need a kind of a dollar value associated with Oh, yeah. Life in Cincinnati doesn't look quite like life in Florida, for instance. It's, it might be more expensive down in Florida. But if I have two kids off the payroll, maybe that works. And then helping me with, okay, here are all my resources. We used that term earlier, but we turn that into a, a financial statement, a, a balance sheet for our clients. So what are all the assets that I have, the investments, the house, the cars, all of those things that I have. And what do I owe? Do I still have a mortgage or a loan on a car or credit card debt? So you add up all the things you own and subtract off all the things you owe, and that's your net worth. So you use those resources. That's what you have to use to achieve that financial independence. Um, and then from there, we have you know, a much more solid basis to do the analysis work, the work that Luke and Emily do that helps um, our clients determine, can we make this all work? 
if we can't, what do we need to do to change it? Does it mean that, okay, I'm not retiring at 60 anymore? Well, I like my job, so that's okay. Maybe I'll retire at 64. And there's always those trade-offs that we can make to make things work. Or maybe I don't need as big of a house when I retire. So all those things are the trade-offs that we make. So it's either adjust the goal or kind of a save more or adjust how we get there. And I'd also like to add one thing here. I don't think it's always, we think of budgeting and spending less and saving more and all that stuff sounds like a drag to me. Um, if you know your goal and you know you're saving enough, whatever you have left, you can go do with whatever you want to. We can tell you that you're saving enough to meet your goals. So you can actually enhance your lifestyle right now and have confidence that you're on track to, to meet your longer term goals. And while they say it's important to plan for the long term, but we, you need to live in the short term because life can be unpredictable. So if we know you've got the longer stuff nailed down based on the conversation that you've had with your financial planner, go, go do something different. Go do something that restart that dreaming phase that Tom, you know, mentioned. Go dream now. Uh, go do something now. You don't have to wait on things. Yeah, Luke, you're exactly right. I think that's the biggest value that that conversation that I had, um, or the ongoing conversations we have with Emily help us with. My wife, Beth, um, is about as tight as can be. Um, she's always the person who cringes every time that you know a credit card bill comes in, even though we have plenty of money in the bank. Uh, she just doesn't like spending money at all. And being able to plan and say that this that you plan for works and maybe works very easily um, gives her some comfort to say that, okay, we can live in the here and now. We don't have to worry about every little bill or pro home project or thing that's going on because those are all things that are achievable. And I've seen it also just kind of take the temperature down in marriages. You've got one person that grew up in a, where money was very scarce and, and every penny matters. And even when they're well exceeding their goals, they feel like they just need to do more. And uh, sometimes you can have these conversations and you can release some tension between the two people in that, hey, it's okay. You know, you're doing all the right things and now you can choose to go do something else. Now, I promised listeners four action steps to get them to their financial independence. Let's start with one. I would say the first one is let's talk about that retirement plan. If you can save 10 to 15% per year, if you're in your thirties, you probably ought to be saving 15% of your salary per year. Uh, if you're in your twenties, if you're doing 10%, that's okay. But uh, if you can save 15% in your thirties and beyond, that's a good first step. Yep. And make it automatic. So, the company-sponsored retirement plans, they allow you to contribute a certain percentage of your salary. If you're saving more than that, contributing to the Roth IRA or the traditional IRA or even a taxable brokerage account, having an automatic monthly draw makes it simple, repeatable. You don't have to rely on remembering to send in the check. That'll get you there a lot faster or a lot more consistently than having to take that step, that 
write the check, put the stamp on it, or click the button to take money, transfer money out of the bank account. Automatic seems to work much more consistently. And I think too, you don't see it, so you don't miss it. And you don't have to make the decision over and over again. Am I going to do it or not do it? It's just getting done. Right. All right. One and two. What about three? I think a lot of studies have shown if you write down your goals, you're more likely to achieve them. So even if you just write it down on your phone, I mean, the the best example would be a written financial plan. I mean, you really put some time and effort into it. You've thought about it. You've seen how the numbers work out. But even something as simple as go to the notes on your phone and write down, you know, this is where I want to be in a year. This is where I want to be in five years. There's a power in writing things down that people don't fully appreciate. And you'll be surprised. You will probably achieve the goals that you write down and you probably won't achieve the goals that you don't. So I think number four can be um, be accountable to yourself. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to take that phone and you're going to put in a calendar appointment, a repeating calendar appointment, starting one year from now and just repeating every year and write down your goal in that calendar appointment so that you can see it flash in your face every year. And that's a great chance to reevaluate your goals, your savings, maybe look at your 401k plan and the investments that it has. So it's that reminder to take time for yourself, take time for your future and take that next step forward. That was a great wrap up right there, sir. How can listeners reach you? Because boy, I'm going to get my pad of paper and my pencil, forget the phone. I'm writing it down longhand. But how how can listeners reach you to start making their own goals and plans? I think we've got some great information on our website. So if you go to fosterandmotley.com, F-O-S-T-E-R-A-N-D-M-O-T-L-E-Y.com, we have some great resources out there that you can uh, you can see if what we do fits for you. Can we help you along your on your way? Can we be a part of your journey and make you successful? Thanks so much, guys. Luke Hale, Tom Guidi, thank you again. For more information and insight, just follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth, and of course, share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.